No, if you wanted to, you could have a slumber party here, Louise. You can invite girls from your class. Oh, have you met the girls from my class, Mom? Here's what I'm pretty sure is going through their heads every moment of the day. Sticker, 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 sticker. I just wanted to let you know about my study group. Oh, don't be a fuddy-duddy. I'll be your study buddy. I'm about to embark on one of the great challenges of my scientific career. This work right here is going to change history. I think this is going to be our greatest mission. I don't have time to study. I'll never get into Stanford. I got big plans for you tonight. I got maps. I got charts. I'm going to see you through this because my credibility is on the line. It's at this point that you'll want to start taking notes. Welcome to The Sitcom Study, the podcast where we contemplate the TV shows we grew up with and search for the truth and wisdom within the tropes and cliches. And tonight, we are staying up late. We got our flannel PJs or our skimpy negligee on, depending on how how you, the listener, want to envision us. What are we talking about today, Amy? Please envision Jay in a skimpy negligee. That is awesome. Tonight, we are having a sleepover. Yeah, we're talking slumber party episodes. We gravitated to specifically girl slumber parties this time, but we're spanning all ages from little tots to fully grown women. And we're going to have all kinds of overlapping activities, sleepovers. I was a big sleepover kid, I will say. Uh, You know, there was a point where I feel like between ages... 10 and you know 14 15 i feel like my friend dennis would sleep over my house you know every other weekend say it was a very normal thing we would have sleepover parties where i don't know if we did these activities but there were definitely certain you know sort of standard go-to things what is your story with sleepovers yeah same there. I mean, that was the social event of the week when you had either a friend sleepover or you were going over to somebody's sleepover party. I think my third grade birthday party was co-ed and everybody got to come. And then the boys left and the girls who didn't want to spend the night left. And then it turned, it like morphed into a sleepover party. The after hours on. section. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Looking back on it now, there's something about when you're a kid and you're used to going to sleep at a certain time, having, you know, basically the whole night, right? Because it's sort of understood when you have a sleepover, especially a sleepover party, you're sort of allowed to stay up all night or like really, really late. And that time just seems like it's going to go forever. And like you just all these different activities and all these like ups and downs and like it's going to be this whole adventure That's true. And it has shaped who I am as an adult, because when I have a night that I don't have to get up the next morning, I am planning my own night. Just if I'm alone, if I'm with you, whatever, like it's a sleepover party. I'm like, okay, at midnight, I'm going to do this and I'm going to watch this show. And at 11, I'm going to have popcorn. And like, I plan my nights like that. I'm very excited. I still love beating the night. Yeah. And I did 
do that for many years, and now, as an older man, I've I've <laughs> returned to the womb. Now I'm like when you're a little kid and you're not having a sleepover. Everything gets wrapped up by eight p.m. <laughs> in bed by ten. That is that is what I have become. All right, what is our lineup? What are the shows we're watching? Okay, we're gonna kick it off with Full House season four, episode four, Slumber Party. That's seventy show season five, episode thirteen. Your time is going to come. Big Bang Theory, Season 4, Episode 8, The 21 Second Excitation. And Bob's Burgers, Season 4, Episode 9, Slumber Party. Yeah, so we're back with Full House, right? We talked about them on our very first episode. So we're in Season 4. So this is kind of like square in the middle of the Full House world. Jesse and Becky are engaged. They're getting ready to be married. And the whole sort of thing that kicks this off is that Jesse's wedding announcement in the in the newspaper says that he's Jersey Katsopoulos. And right. so we get a running gag of everyone in the house coming and saying, hey, Jersey, right? Like that that's such a low blow that they said he was Jersey. Well, I think it's more the low blow that he is excited to get press, yet because he is the boyfriend, fiance of the morning news anchor who is way more famous than him, he was looking forward to seeing his name in print and he was saying his mom always saves all his clippings, you know, because he's a wannabe rock star. And uh, and they got her name right and so, his name wrong. He's like a throwaway. But yeah, it's Full House. So there's lots of stuff going on, A, B, C, D, and E stories. Uh, but what we're focusing on here is Stephanie, right? Little Stephanie... She's in the the honeybees, right? This was during the time when the Girl Scouts were like this ubiquitous cultural presence that were constantly being referenced, and not only referenced that like that were constantly a major plot point in movies and TV, but were very protective of right. their name and their image. So you had all of these different, it was never the Girl Scouts in the movies and TV. It was always my little, you know, sunshine troop or something. Yes, the Girl Rangers or whatever. Yeah, so she's the honeybees. I have to say, their honeybee outfit is much cooler, I think, than the real Girl Scout thing. I like their striped, like, navy and yellow scarves and stuff. I think it's a very sharp sort of ensemble they've put together. I mean, it's amazing what happens when you have an award-winning costume designer picking out your cute little Girl Scout troop outfits. You've got somebody who does this for a living. I think about Troop Beverly Hills. Look how fashionable those outfits are when Shelley Long's character hired designers to redesign them. So the dilemma here is they're having a a honeybee's sleepover, a mother-daughter sleepover. Right. And of course, the whole premise of Full House is their mom has passed. And that's why they have this crazy household with their uncles. And so the initial plan is no big deal. Becky, Jesse's fiance, will, will take her. And that's a pretty, you know, she's essentially an aunt. And so no harm, no foul. Your mom is deceased. Go with your Aunt Becky. Yeah, no big deal. And so the way this is all set up is we're in the 
We're in the kitchen right around breakfast time or mid-afternoon or something because Stephanie, everybody's reading the paper like they're just getting up. But then Stephanie comes in having been at a honeybees meeting and she throws her fanny pack at her dad and she's like, the honeybees are stupid. Who wanted to be a part of them anyway? And then I'm fine and stomps upstairs. And then, you know, of course, we find out that it has to do with the sleepover party. And, oh, you know, Danny immediately, the dad feels bad like oh my gosh I, you know I can't do this with her or whatever Becky's like no problem I have to be in Lake Tahoe for a story but I'll be back by then easy peasy and so we, we'll take her we get some reminiscing right I feel like that's sort of a, a common trope of these things is like the older generation in this case Becky kind of looking back fondly on like oh you can't miss a sleepover you know a girl slumber party you got your games you got your hair braiding like it's it's all of these rites of passage that she's like you know this is the same way that Linda is going to be later on in Bob's Burgers yeah. it's like you cannot be a child and not experience this and not have gone through that so what is the difference then so like we did some hair braiding and we definitely played some games i don't remember doing like a fashion show for my family in the way that these like both of these sleepovers and bob's burgers and yeah and full house will have like a fashion show but we definitely played dress up and like just did that for ourselves like i very much remember my parents being happy to have my energy be focused on other people (laughs) for the time that the slumber party was going on and they were like cool you guys you guys take over the tv or take over the back room that's fine we'll stay out here let us know if you need any more pizza yeah what were your you know you guys did i'm sure well you you probably played dress up. So I, I don't know. I can't make a There was a little bit of that. I mean, to be honest, you know, not to be like weirdly self-aggrandizing or whatever, but I would seize the opportunity to do creative stuff, like to have your friends over for like seven hours or something. I'd be like, let's make a song. We would record a rap song or we would make little <laughs> skits. <the> dance <laughs> Yes. Oh, definitely. We would like practice dancing. Dance. Yes. We would frame our way through our VHS tapes of MC Hammer and CNC Music Factory and learn the dances. I think that was probably a very common thing to do in the 90s. Okay. If we ever are able to get this podcast big enough that we can monetize it and start a Patreon, then... <laughs> Extra content is going to be your grown-up version of those dances. Because, ladies and gentlemen and non-binaries, I will tell you right now, this man, when he stands up in the living room and reenacts those dances, is the delight of my mom. Yes, that is going to be a special tier with a very high uh, price tag. So, yeah, so we would do those kinds of, like, skits and make songs and stuff like that. And then one thing that we did that we're going to see in at least one of these shows is prank phone calls. Mm. Uh, So maybe Mm -hmm. we'll talk about that when we get to it. That was something that happened when we were a little bit older. Yeah, when that like Jersey Boys thing came out and everybody was talking about it. Yeah, Jerky Boys. Jerky Boys, that's right. Not the musical. (laughs) Right. That musical based on the... (laughs) Nasty phone calls from like DJs or something. (laughs) But no, uh, when we got a little older than that, uh, watching scrambled porn was a definite mainstay of boys' sleepovers in the 90s. But why as a group activity? That is what I will never understand. (laughs) Because... 
uh, at that time, frankly, you were you were so young and innocent that you didn't even really get that, like, how useless it was to watch it as a group. And yet... Oh, bro, 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 I saw her boob! It was... <laughs> I mean, it was just such a different time that that really was your only access to something like that was sitting with your friends late at night and watching this all weird scrambled channel because it was a channel you didn't get and uh, trying to make sense out of it. Okay, so when we watch some of these boy sleepovers, we got to we're going to keep our fingers crossed that we get a group scrambled porn watch because there are some episodes that we tabled because we just hadn't found four of them yet but we've got a silver spoons and a malcolm in a middle that are boy sleepovers oh yeah we'll, we'll definitely get to it so at the same time as stephanie is getting ready for her honeybee sleepover dj is going to use the fact that she's you know out of the house to have kimmy come and sleep over so right. there we get a taste of the older girl's sleepover kimmy shows up and immediately replaces dj's picture of her dad in her bedroom with a patrick swayze picture she's like <laughs> i can't have your dad bob saget you know looking at me while i sleep i need swayze well and it was the picture that was on stephanie's nightstand so mm-hmm. it was you know kimmy was taking over over Stephanie's bed for the night. So she's throwing all the stuffed animals on the floor. She's rearranging things and she's getting rid of the picture of Danny Tanner that was oddly sitting on Stephanie's nightstand. Yeah, it's you a know, headshot, basically. You have like an eight by 10 of your dad yeah. or your parents on your yeah. nightstand. That's, That's exactly normal. what it is. It's not like a picture of the two of them doing something. It's a headshot of her dad. <laughs> but yeah, so before they can even get started with this sleepover thing, Becky has to call from, you know, out on some assignment. She's a news reporter. So she calls the house and says, Stephanie, I can't take you to your party. Something happened. Her some car kind of- broke down okay. on the way back from Lake Tahoe. So she's in some random town somewhere between Lake Tahoe and San Francisco, and she's stuck. Yeah. So the solution is Uncle Joey will take her. Yeah, Uncle Joey says, don't worry, I'm the greatest at kids sleepovers, it'll be fine, you know, I'm I'm not worried about any of the mother-daughter stuff, I'm there for you. And Stephanie's like, okay, well, hopefully it'll be fine, but she's skeptical, and off they go. Yeah, so Uncle Joey, I mean, even at the time, I feel like Dave Coulier you know, was was a little notorious. Like this, this was not exactly a guy on the cutting edge of of comedy. You know, <laughs> uh, he's he's just a big cheese ball. Well, he is on the cutting edge because of cut because of his it cutting out. out routine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's very similar. It's definitely a sort of watered down, not as good version, but it's the same energy we talk about with eighties era Tom Hanks and Bill Murray, where it's just like. A grown man being silly, you know? Isn't it funny when a grown man takes a spatula and pretends it's a microphone and starts singing and dancing and stuff? It's just all that kind of energy. Uh, So, of course, that's what we're going to get when Joey takes Stephanie to the slumber party. And we've got, you know, it's a mother-daughter thing. So we have like seven or eight 
women and their kids. And instead of just trying to sort of blend in and go with the flow, Joey's going to take every possible opportunity to do a funny voice or a dance or some sort of shtick. Right. He wants to try to show how well he's blending in by being like the first one to do everything yeah. and try everything. So they have like a high heel race where they have to carry an egg on a spoon that they do in the living room where there's carpet, which is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. If you're doing a raw egg race, you do it outside. But so Stephanie goes around the couch and she's in the lead in the high heels and then they swap high heels with their you know, parent who's there or their guardian or whatever who's there. And then they take the take the next lap. And of course, all of the women, the moms in this have have worn high heels before. So they immediately lap Joey, who's high heel is wearing an extra pair of high heels from the hostess and they don't fit. And he's like falling over and drops the egg, which doesn't break because I guess carpet, but still danger. Yeah, I think they would be okay with him not being particularly good at these activities, but it's that his unique brand of comedy is just falling flat. And again, he cannot just shut his trap and go (laughs) with the flow. Like he's making all these weird jokes and stuff. And yeah, it's just kind of like bringing down the room. And so I feel like, you know, we, we get a taste of that. We cut back to the various like B through E stories at the house. We get some of Michelle dressed as a greaser, basically as a motorcycle dude, because Uncle Jesse has taken her shopping. But what's what's the straw that breaks the camel's back in terms of the, the slumber party going wrong? So so it it's kind of leading up all in one, right? We get this. Uh, there's a few things that happen before and then we get this egg race and the egg race and the high heels they lose and you know stephanie is upset and before that like when they're saying okay moms i mean parents i mean guardians adults you know because that's they're trying to like the mom who's running the thing keeps trying to make these accommodations for Stephanie as well and sees how it's awkward, but hasn't quite, you know, fixed her language to the mommy daughter sleepover to, you know, be more inclusive of all the kids. So first of all, like before we even get to answer your question, why are they having this in this Girl Scout troop anyway? If you know in your Girl Scout troop and you're a grown up in your Girl Scout troop, and you know that there's a child who lost their mom, you don't have a freaking mother-daughter sleepover. You do something else. So this is all the adults' fault and they're assholes. Full yeah. stop. Now, moving forward. <laughs> so after the egg race, they wanted the girl all the girls want to do makeovers. And so it's like, okay, you know, girls do makeovers on your mom, and moms do makeovers on your kid. And they're like, Yay! And all the kids race. And Stephanie is kind of like, Oh my God, Joey doesn't know how to do makeup. This is gonna be dumb. And so she sort of looks at the mom who's in charge, and Joey kind of looks at the mom who's in charge, and the mom who's in charge is like, Oh, girls, why don't we play a different game? And the girls are all like, No, what? We don't want to. And Stephanie goes, it's because of me and runs out and runs home, like down the street, runs home. Yeah, no, she literally like leaves the room and it cuts to her walking into her own uh, front door. But yeah, I really feel for her and I relate to this feeling a lot because this is what happens to me. I'm a notoriously 
picky eater, and there are certain cuisines that Let's I just... Let's go out for sushi! Yeah, I are just not an option. And so it's like, as much as I really don't like to go to those places, anytime I get the sense that there's a group decision being made to accommodate me, there is that sense of shame or embarrassment. Yeah, and so... Stephanie storms back home and is like, you know, screw it all. I never wanted to be, you know, she's a big fan of the sort of sour grapes mentality. Her go-to move is to always say, I never wanted to be in the dumb old honeybees anyway. That's right. I'm out. Peace. And she runs upstairs again. And Joey, of course, feels really bad. You know, he he was making an effort, but it was always going to be awkward. And everybody's just doing what they can. You know what I mean? It's a shitty situation. And so she goes running upstairs. And she yells at Kimmy to get off of her bed. And, you know, DJ and Kimmy are kind of in the middle of their, like, girls' night. I don't remember what they were doing. I think they were, like, listening to cool music or something. And so DJ is, like, once again, the grown-up, you know, the grown-up 12-year-old in the family. Well, she specifically requests this assignment because, you know, Stephanie walks in downstairs, says why she's so upset, storms out of the room, and Danny is, like, to the other adults, let me handle this like I do at the end of every episode basically right. and then when when Stephanie says to Danny and DJ what the deal is DJ is kind of like can I can I talk to her? Can I have a moment? Like, I, I think I can field this one. Yeah. And even before Danny gets upstairs, she tells Kimmy, let me, you know, let me have a moment alone with Stephanie. And so Kimmy leaves and goes downstairs to hang out with the guys. And Danny is like, okay, you got this, Deej. And, you know, you're such a good girl. And he goes downstairs. And then we get a heart-to-heart sister moment, which is really very touching. Like, they did a really good job with it. It does pull at your heartstrings. Oh, yeah. I was thinking it's amazing how differently these kinds of schmaltzy ending scenes hit me now than when I was a kid. I'm sure I was rolling my eyes at this. Oh, uh, I don't think I ever know, was. As a 12-year-old or 15-year-old or whenever I was watching this. And now, just devastating. I mean, DJ is totally connecting with her. And first, she's saying, you know... I totally get it. I understand what you're going through. And Stephanie is like, no, you don't, because you had those extra years with mom. When you were my age, she was still here. And that's a really, you know, difficult idea to wrestle with. And then DJ goes on this whole thing of like, yeah, you know, our lives are permanently screwed over by not having a mom and it sucks but what we get is full house we get the premise of this show we get uncle jesse and uncle joey and aunt becky and this whole wacky situation that we're in and you know that's its own thing too and uh yeah my god i mean not a dry eye in the house when this thing is going down no it was really good and the the one like my one criticism of this part is that it's still framed in the negative, right? Because they're talking about, you know, like you said, I don't have this and I don't have this and we're never going to have that. And when DJ comes back, instead of saying I, and, and what she really is saying is that I, 
you know, I look at all the things we do have and I'm yeah. happy for all the things we do have. But the way she phrases it is I look at all the things that we have that other people don't, which is I'm, I'm like, man, it's not about other people in this hmm. moment, you know, but whatever. She's a kid. It's fine. But it is like to me, that's crappy writing. Like you well, should frame it in the positive and because it, it's not about what other people don't have. It's about what you do have. It's about your house and your heart being full because of all these lovely people that are in your life. Uh, yeah, I think it's a good point, but I also think there's something to be said for DJ just trying to meet Stephanie where she is and saying, you have all this jealousy, all this envy for these other kids, and it's understandable, but there are things about your life that they could be jealous about. Yes, you know? absolutely. And uh, even that is a is a more positive framing than the way it was said. But that is like now times looking back on Earth, sure. you know, before times, we're much more aware of of the positivity and like the negativity in our in our speech now, I think. So that's what I was picking up on. But they really like you said, tug at your heartstrings. And at the end of that scene, yeah, like that's the end of the episode right i mean we get the little tag at the end with kimmy but that's it you know they wrap it all up and it, it's like hey we're we're in a good place it's okay and why don't i take you back to the slumber party this time you know with me well yeah and that was one note i had was why wasn't this the plan in the first place you know i mean granted the aunt becky plan was solid you know she couldn't have predicted i guess having her car break down or whatever but Big Sister is a great idea as a replacement for her mom. So, you know, just note going forward, don't go immediately to the uncle, you know, uh, if, if this happens again. In terms of a sitcom trope, you know, these sleepovers are all a little different. And this one sort of has an asterisk because it's like an organized thing as opposed to, you know, just a more, you know, like a bunch of friends doing it on their own. But you see how I think it is going to be a recurring theme that the sleepover, it's like this next step of like, so you've been over to your friend's house to hang out or whatever, but it is, it's like asking, you know, it, in most cases, it's asking more independence of the kid. In this case, it's more specific with the mother daughter thing. But it's still this sense of like, okay, you've skated by this far, but now if you're going to be like a person with friends in the world, you need to go to the next level, and that is the sleepover. Yeah, not just have an hour-long or a two-hour-long play date where at the end of it you might be sick, getting sick of each other. No, no, you're going to have to really learn how to manage yourself in social situations for a long period of time. Yeah, so I feel like we're going to see that continue to play out. Let's move on to That 70s Show. Season 5, Episode 13, Your Time is Gonna Come, story by Will Forte of SNL fame. This, I'm realizing, is an interesting coincidence because on our very first episode, we covered both Full House and That 70s Show. So oh, uh, yeah. we're returning from whence we came. Yeah, you know, I'm on record. I was never a huge That 70s Show fan. It was one of those sort of late 90s, early 2000s ones that was a little bit after my time. But I like it. And I think what I kind of 
discovered watching this or what I sort of uh, came to believe was I think I would have really liked this show when, you know, if if I was younger when it came on. I think I would have definitely liked these girls, both Mila Kunis <laughs> and the other one. And uh, I've got a very sort of open mind, you know, when I when I watch uh, that 70s show. Yeah. So what struck me this time, and this is, you know, obviously in the wake of what happened with the guy who plays Hyde on the show, he is now a convicted rapist. And then also we know the guy who plays Fez is sort of one of these notorious Hollywood types always kind of dates much younger than him. I don't know if that's still the case. But anyway, when I think when I look back at this, because I was a big fan of this show. And when I watch them now, it bums me out because of that. And I look at the time and it was like, you know, this is early 2000s. This is when we're, you know, everything that you read now is about how we were calling Jessica Simpson fat at this time, right? Like we're calling, and she makes a guest appearance in this episode, very clearly not fat. You know, there was just this like heroin chic. You had to be super, super skinny. It was all the like male perspective and the male gaze. And I was a young woman at this time and felt very empowered in myself. And now as I look back at the choices I was making and the things I was wearing and like what I was doing, yes, absolutely felt like I was making my own choices, but also recognizing that everything that I valued in terms of what was cool in media was chosen for me by generally straight white men. And so because I didn't have a breadth of what was cool or could be cool from so many different voices, because the access to interesting popular content ran through one channel, I made different choices and different decisions. And so when I look at this show to me now, it is this time capsule and not in the way it's trying to be of like, you know, early 2000s looking back at that, you know, the 70s or whatever. It's this time capsule of that time where women my age in our early 20s, we only existed through this like lens of of the male, straight male gaze. Anyway, and, and then watching these men who have, you know, now we know how very problematic and criminal their behavior was at the time and, and they continued to engage in. It is just, it's sad, you know, it's sad. And I think about people I've known in my life who have made bad choices, like the men in this show, to go on and do stupid ass things because they thought that that's how you could treat women. So it's, this one's hard to go back to. I love this show so much. I loved it when it was on. I still think it's very funny, but it's like every time it's not funny, every time it's just normal, I can't help but think that. And that's a bummer. Is it the sense of humor of the show or is it purely the off screen? It's a little bit of both. I mean, I definitely see a little bit, you know, this isn't like one of those feel bad shows that we talk about, about like Married with Children or Unhappily Ever After. But again, like you're saying, because of the time it came out and everything, because of who's making it, it's got a little bit of that. It's got the same thing you see in the Friends episodes where it's like, oh, it goes without saying that all these guys want to bang all these girls. And there's always going to be these little like, "Uh, I'll do it if you show me your boobs, like all of those kind of jokes and stuff. Right. And the gender roles thing that still existed in the 2000s is present in this show. And they lean into it even harder because, hey, it was the 70s. They were even worse. (laughs) Well, and that I will say, 
The 70s aspect of that 70s show always gets lost in the shuffle to me. It's like the guy has weird hair, you know, their dad. They wear bell bottoms. Oh, wait, we were wearing them then too. (laughs) It really is like, yeah, a sort of retro milieu to the clothes and the hair but besides that it just never the way they talk i feel like they forget to have any like 70s slang or vernacular in the way they talk and so yeah it always just kind of escapes me that i'm even watching something that's supposed to be in the 70s yeah and i think that probably is a writer's choice though right like i think they didn't write that kind of stuff in unless it was like them being funny and making a joke about it Because these are not the cool kids, right? These, I mean, other than maybe Jackie, right? But like, these are the nerds in, uh, you know, so they definitely wouldn't have been like hip to the best slang or whatever. Um, But yeah, I don't know. All of that being said, we get great guest appearances in this episode. We've got Jessica Simpson doing her early 2000s thing, playing a dumb blonde, because that's all anybody would let her do. And then we've got Betty White being hilarious as Kitty's mother and Eric's grandmother. Yeah. So Jessica Simpson is basically the whole sort of catalyst of this story. She's Kelso's new girlfriend, right? Kelso is Ashton Kutcher. And like you said, this is straight up stunt casting. This is going if Ashton Kutcher's character is supposed to be a big old dummy, you know, a big uh, sort of handsome doofus. Who can we cast to be the lady version of him, Jessica Simpson? Well, and in this episode, she is playing the lady version of Jackie because we're just we're like a few episodes away from Jackie and Kelso breaking up because Jackie sort of developed this crush on Hyde and Hyde was not having it. And he was like, no, 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 I'm not dating her. She's crazy. And then they start dating. And so they've been dating for a little while. And Kelso was kind of all heartbroken at first. And then a few episodes before this one, they went on a road trip to California, or they were out for a vacation or something in in California, and met Jessica Simpson. And so then this is a few episodes later, and he has now you know, gotten her like got her on a Greyhound or something so that she's coming to visit in Wisconsin. So she's there. She's meeting Jackie for the first time. And Jackie's not having it. Jackie hates her from jump. And everyone's like, that's weird. Jackie's dating Hyde shouldn't be jealous of Kelso's new girlfriend. And so Kelso's like, hey, Donna, you need to let my new girlfriend, Annette, sleep at your house because she doesn't have a place to stay. And why don't you guys just like have a sleepover or something? They start to realize his friends that, like you said, that she's just like Mila Kunis's character because they watch her yelling at him, right? She says, I told you I don't like presents that bounce, right? I don't even remember. What was he giving to her? He want, He was trying to get one of those bouncy balls out of a vending machine, you know, like they used to have at grocery stores where you could get like a bouncy ball out of the nickel machine. Okay. So Eric and Donna are watching all this and going, she's just like Jackie, Mila Kunis. And so, like you said... It was Kelso's idea that his new girlfriend is going to stay with Donna. She originally objected to this, but then they kind of turned things around. Is their motivation like keep your enemies closer? They, they have all of a sudden this thing like, we want to get to know her and befriend her, but I'm not sure what their 
what they're playing at. Well, so Donna didn't care what, I mean, like Donna was like, oh, you're just going to foist this girl upon me. Okay, fine. Like she didn't care one way or another. Her whole character is I'm the tomboy. I'm one of the guys, you know, whatever. And she gets just annoyed by Jackie as, as everybody else does. Right. Well, so she realizes that Annette can't stay at Kelso's house because that first of all, his parents won't let her. And also he already randomly took a picture of her in the shower, which was like this great, you know, another one of these jokes, yeah. right? Where um, there, Jessica Simpson's like, well, I can't stay at, at Michael's because already one of his brothers took a picture of me in the shower. And all the rest of the cast is like, Kelso, I thought your brothers all were away at college or, you know, not living at home anymore. And so then, of course, Ashton Kutcher gets his like, ooh, Yeah, he took a picture of his own girlfriend in the shower. shower, But again, without asking and whatever. So anyway, so she, um, so Donna is like, sure, okay, we'll do it. And then is like, hey, if I have to spend the night with this girl, Jack you need to come like let's you know and Jackie's like I'm not interested in that absolutely not I hate that girl whatever she's horrible and Donna convinces her by saying hey we can make fun of her we can whisper and giggle and be like and when she asks what we're talking about we can say nothing so Donna's trying to appeal to Jackie's sensibilities by saying come on it'll be fine if you come over we can just make fun of her together so that way Donna doesn't have to be alone with her because she doesn't really want to hang out with her all night long and also they want to torment her basically Donna doesn't Donna just doesn't want to be alone with her all night long she'd rather hang out with Jackie even though she finds Jackie annoying and so this story has a lot of holes in it right so she's saying to Jackie let's do the thing that you like to do which is make fun of the other girl but this isn't like an intel thing this isn't like we need to get to know her to find her weakness or something like that okay so the slumber party aspect of this is relatively brief but it is significant and what is fun about it is we get two slumber parties because we get the real one but first we get the guy's fantasy sequence of what their slumber party is going to be and i have to say i can tell already you were not tickled by this it was funny to me that it's like like they share a fantasy and kelso has the power to fantasize for all of them he goes like Fez goes like, oh, I can just imagine what their sleepover party is like. And then and we start to get the dream right. sequence, like wavy lines. Yeah. And Ashton Kutcher goes like, no, 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 I got this. And so like he stands up as though like he is going to provide the fantasy for all of them to experience. Well, sure. If he's telling it out loud. I guess that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. He's describing the fantasy. So yeah, we get a fantasy sequence. Uh, say what you will. It's It's obviously... You know, making fun of this notion of this is what a, a girl's slumber party would be. They're wearing these skimpy negligees, and one of them goes, I want to practice kissing, right? And that's basically like where it kind of, you know, that's where it cuts out. because they're all so happy that the girls might be kissing. I mean, I know this is a long played out joke, right? Like you even made it at the beginning. This is what, oh, what are sleepover girls' sleepover parties are like? Oh, they're pillow fights and bouncing around and wearing next to nothing and it's like no yeah and then the show shows us the reality which is they have their flannel pajamas and they're just sitting around talking 
Yes. Well, they're in their flannel pajamas, except for Annette, who's in something a little more skimpy. Mm-hmm. And they're sitting around talking. And and then there's this switch, right? Because Annette and Jackie realize they have something in common. And they become friends and start giggling and laughing and making fun of Donna, which is what always ends up happening to Donna anyway. She just can't seem to like make friends with girls, really. Yeah. Now, there's another subtrope of the sleepover party in sitcoms, which is the spying on the sleepover party. Of this course. happens in Saved by the Bell, and uh, it happens here. The guys spy on the girls' sleepover. Yes. And nothing really comes out of that. They don't get caught. I mean, not until later, and then it's just a dirty look or whatever, but they, they don't get caught. But the grandfather, Eric's grandfather, um, in the meanwhile, what's been happening with the adults is Kitty, her parents have show, shown up randomly, unannounced. And she has this really contentious relationship with her mom. Her mom can never say anything nice to her. Um, and her mom is played by Betty White. And so her her grand or the grandfather, her dad, comes out, sees the boys peering over the fence and is like, hey, what are you guys doing? And they're like, ah, eh, nothing. And so then they all scurry inside. Eric goes back outside and grandpa's dead. Grandpa has had a heart attack and is on the ground. Yeah, this was handled quite briskly, I have to say. I don't know how big of a character this was in the show, how much we're supposed to be invested in him. But yeah, I mean, this is all his his death is off camera, but it does sort of make the whole plot switch gears a little bit because, you know, next thing we know, we're at a funeral. Right. So now it's a post-sleepover world. What happened at the sleepover was Jackie and Annette became good friends. And Donna is, like, not friends with the girls, you know? Like, that. that's sort of the ongoing joke of this show, right? And Jackie has declared, I'm no longer jealous. I was a little jealous, but that's just because it was weird to see Michael as someone else. But I'm not because Annette's great and that's, you know, yay, all is fine. And so she's happy with Hyde and everything's fine. And then there's some other things going on with the parents and whatever. But then she, Jackie comes back in at the kind of the end of the, you know, wake or whatever that they have going on at the house. And Annette and Kelso are making out. And Jackie screams from the front door while Hyde, her current boyfriend, is watching, get your hands off my man. Right. And storms out of the room. And someone says something like, but Hyde's right over there or whatever. So is this resolved? No, it sort of switches to... A little bit of the mom's story of her dad having just died. And I have to say, I mean, I did not expect this to be such an emotionally exhausting (laughs) lineup between these first two shows. Betty White isn't grieving the way that Kitty thinks that she should be. And she keeps, you know, barking orders and, and, you know, insulting Kitty. And Kitty is just like, you know, trying to make this whole, you know, after funeral dinner thing happen. And she goes upstairs to finally give her mom a piece of her mind. And she walks into the guest room and her mom's sitting there crying. And so she realizes that everybody grieves in different ways. She and her mom do not have a heart to heart. All of this happens just on the actress, what's her name, Deborah Jo Rupp, that plays Kitty. All of this happens in her face. So we see Betty White sitting on the bed crying. We see Kitty see her, 
recognize that, oh, you know, people grieve in different ways and I should give my mom a break. She doesn't have to grieve just like I do <laughs> and leaves the, you know, leaves the room. She leaves and I think she just kind of encounters Eric in the hallway and they just hug or something. There's this very sort of quiet moment that is just like, oh God, you know, <laughs> I, I thought we were looking at Ashton Kutcher, you know, goofing around. I didn't sign up for this drama. Emotional drama. Yeah. Well, so they leave the Kelso Hyde Jackie love triangle for another day. And that does kind of play out throughout this season. This was a weird season. They had, they switched things up. You know, we've got Jackie not with Kelso anymore. We've got her with Hyde. And so this was like, one of the you know just trying something new they've been this is almost to the end of the fifth season so yeah but in terms of tracking the trope we do see clearly slumber party as bonding experience right this is a way to upgrade your relationship and like we said even sort of shift the alliances and kind of you know you might you might leave with a different partner than you showed up with who knows (laughs) all right moving on to the big bang theory Season 4, Episode 8, The 21 Second Excitation. Yeah, so Big Bang Theory is a pretty significant presence in sort of 21st century, you know, multi-camera sitcoms. We haven't talked about this before. What is your take on Big Bang? So I was into Big Bang for the first few seasons. It was one that I, you know, recorded or TiVo'd or whatever. I I watched it and then just kind of got away from it. And I think it was just one of those things that went on for so long. And it was so same-samey. And it's nothing against the characters, nothing against the writing. Like, every time I dropped into the show after I stopped watching it, it was still funny. But... When it got to be, you know, where you were watching multiple episodes back to back to back, it, it, it just, this show to me is meant to watch once a week, one episode a week, yeah. and then you're fine. If you try to watch a bunch at once, it's too same same and you get tired. That's me. I don't know if that's everybody. Yeah, this was one that I definitely just did not have time for when it was originally on, I think. At this point, we were adults when when this was on TV, If I was watching sitcoms at all, I really was only interested in what I considered the absolute top tier, which would have been like The Office and 30 Rock, maybe New Girl. But I frankly kind of stuck my nose up at Chuck Lorre. You know, I think this was after Two and a Half Men, right? Or they overlapped. They overlapped, but this came second. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I really had a kind of snotty attitude about it. I, you know, these these shows, this, even something like How I Met Your Mother, you know, they would come on when I was, you know, stretching for my run or something and I would watch them and, uh, you know, they would have funny jokes here and there. It wasn't like, oh my God, it makes me sick. But I just kind of thought of it as like, oh, they, they probably watch this in Nebraska or something, you know, like I just kind <laughs> of thought I was, dick. yeah, I just thought I was kind of too good for it. Like this is just, Again, this isn't like if sitcoms in general are a little dopey, then I'm only going to watch the really, really good ones. I mean, okay, I can understand that perspective. And Jim Parsons is phenomenal. He's the one who plays Sheldon. And 
I like I cannot get enough of him. He is a brilliant actor and he really does a great job at giving this show heart in a way. And when it got to the point, so this is now season four and now we have Amy, who's played by Maya Bialik on and she just added a whole new layer to the on like the goings on of the little, you know, nerd kind of apartment living. So the question I have for you coming out of Big Bang Theory is what is the deal with like everyone hanging out with their neighbors? Have you ever lived in an apartment building where you were like, let me go make friends with my neighbors and now like hang out there? Well, no, but that's not exactly what this is. This is a group of friends hanging out together and or rather a group of friends and roommates hanging out together and one neighbor. Right. right? Penny is their neighbor who right. like started so, becoming friends with Yes, them. that's the part that needs explaining. And that's sort of the premise of the show that you need to buy into is why Penny hangs out with them. But it's not as though the rest of them are just random neighbors that decided to be friends. They're no. all friends and colleagues. No, they yeah, they become a, a an extended friend group because because of this central apartment where everyone's kind of hanging out with yeah. Sheldon and, and um, uh, yeah, Leonard. I think it's very much meant to be, you know, let's, let's take friends and fuse it with a little bit of a sort of modern day revenge of the nerds type yeah. thing. Friends, if they were PhD and postdoc researchers. Right. Uh, what I will say is that watching it now, I really like this. I thought it was really funny. And I think I was wrong to sort of turn my nose up at it. I, I stand by the opinion that it's, it's sitcom-y in a way that those other shows I mentioned, like The Office or 30 Rock, they transcended that. They had a voice that was doing something new and different. And this is a little bit more like, let's do a sitcom about a bunch of nerds and stuff. But nonetheless, it is funny. And yeah, Parsons obviously is, you know, the huge standout and the big sort of lightning in a bottle of this show. But all of them are really good. Yeah, uh, Kaylee Cuoco is really good. She's an excellent sort of foil to them and you can tell you know like she's good looking but it's not like they just hired some supermodel or something like she has a really interesting look and presence about her herself that has a whole sort of eccentric vibe to it uh so yeah i'm here to say big bang theory i welcome you into my life with open arms and i'm sorry <laughs> i you know was so skeptical yeah so one of the things that i love about Big Bang Theory is one of the same things that I love surprisingly about Archer and that is the throwaway references that are like meant to be above your head unless you are you know studying the same types of things in the minute detail yeah. that these guys are they're always almost always accurate and if you look them up it's hilarious and we get a ton of them in this so we get uh amy who's played by Maya bialik we get amy farrah fowler mentioning the miller's tale which is a, oh, a really dirty canterbury tale i knew tale. that from my own life yeah and we get um and then of course all of the indiana jones stuff which i'm sure you totally were into how much of that was accurate i'm gonna guess all of it tell me about about the submarine conundrum and the 21 seconds of the extra footage is this all real I don't I don't know about any 21 seconds 
of footage. What I was thinking is that, and I know I'm always going off about my conspiracy theories here, this was more corporate synergy. Like just, (laughs) you know, it makes perfect sense that these guys would be into Raiders and there's constantly screenings of Raiders of the Lost Ark. You and I went to one. But the way that you see the poster of this new edition of Raiders of the Lost Ark like 17 times in this episode. And it ends with this funny little tribute where they're using the music, which you would only be able to do if you either paid a lot of money for it or were in this sort of corporate branding, you know, hand washing kind of thing. So I don't know. I just kind of got the impression like there must be some sort of new DVD version of Raiders or even maybe a new theatrical release of Raiders going on at this time. But yeah, the story does all sort of hinge around this screening of Raiders that they're going to go to. This is all a MacGuffin in the style of the Indiana Jones movies to get to the idea that they need to camp out all night. They need to camp out for tickets. Right. Well, or they camp out to get a place in the theater because it's one of those like midnight movie showings. And so Sheldon's all upset because they aren't there at five. They went out to dinner first. And so they leave, you know, around six or a little after six and they get there and there's already this huge long line and everyone... Sheldon just keeps saying, I told you so, or I informed you thusly, as he puts it. And, um, and we also get a running count of him getting or not getting sarcasm, which is an ongoing joke for him because he's on the spectrum. So sometimes he can't pick up on sarcasm. So yeah, and then we get a guest appearance by Will Wheaton. Yeah, Will Wheaton was always showing up on this show. He was like one of their nemeses, I remember, just from even my casual watching of Yeah, Sheldon's nemesis, for sure. Yeah. Sheldon is very funny. I know it's like, sort of goes without saying, he was the whole, you know, sort of centerpiece of this show. But as somebody who has these sort of mildly autistic qualities, uh, I really like characters like this. It's this sort of wish fulfillment, I think, for those of us who have a lot of these struggles, it's fun to watch a character who's just one step further. So instead of just struggling with small talk, they completely reject it, which is what we wish we could do and all kinds of things like that. And so, yeah, like you said, Jim Parsons just being this very singular actor and having that weird voice and that very interesting body and everything like he just he he's a perfect match for this character because he makes it not just your sort of obvious take on it. Yeah. Uh, One of the things I wrote down, he's talking about how he never watched the thriller video all the way through because he finds zombies dancing in synchronicity implausible. And also a little bit scary. Yeah. There's just so many little (laughs) things like that. They're just good at writing for him. Yeah. Uh, And got better and better as the seasons went on, right? Because this was set up to be, you know, Johnny Galecki was the star. He was the known guy. He's from Roseanne. He was in a bunch of other things in the 90s. And so he was the one that like had the star power. And Kaylee Cuoco as well. She's from, you know, Don't Date My Teenage Daughter or Rules for Dating My Teenage Daughter or something like that. That's the show she was in when she was a teenager. So these are two 
actors coming into Big Bang Theory that have a built-in audience from two other big sitcoms that were hits, right? And were fairly long-running. And then this new guy is Jim Parsons, who comes from the theater world. He's a little bit older than them, but, you know, he's playing this younger character or whatever. And then he's the breakout star, right? And so I know and I've heard, like, from doing some reading and stuff that there was, at first, a little bit of... Uh, resentment going on between the three of them because you know like I said the the two Penny and and Leonard kind of had this we're the heavyweights and then you know Sheldon's getting all of the uh, Emmy nominations yeah. and <laughs> awards wow. and lauded and critical acclaim and then the writers shift and start writing for him even more and then it becomes about the catchphrases and it becomes about Sheldon and so all of them are these wacky characters that are just sort of supporting Sheldon's silliness. And so that was something that over the series run, they did have to navigate as a cast. And they came together on multiple occasions to, you know, say we're in support. But at the end of the day, when Sheldon was done, when Jim Parsons said, I'm ready to leave this show, he said, I'm ready to leave this show. And the series ended with them not really like Penny and and Leonard not really getting a say as to whether or not the show would get to keep going on. Yeah, and I think it's understandable for them to be upset if they're changing the whole course of the show and making it so that, you know, it's disproportionately about him. But I would say, you know, despite their pedigree, like it's, of course he's going to be the breakout character. To me, that's just like saying, the when you look at Seinfeld and it's like, of course Kramer and George are more interesting than Jerry. Like, it's just the difference of you want Leonard to be, you know, he's a romantic lead in this. So he's just, he needs to serve a different purpose. And then... Sheldon is your one that you can go really extreme with because at least initially he's in his whole other world. But to your point, there's so much interest in him that it's like, we're not content to just have him be the weirdo. Now he needs to have his own romance and everything. Yeah. Ergo. And I think they did right by it. You know, they did right by that by bringing in the other characters, you know, making more of Raj and making more of what's the guy's name? Howard, right? Uh, and then bringing in Bernadette, who is Penny's friend from work, who starts dating Howard as time goes on. And then bringing in Amy, you know, bringing in Maya Bialik. I think they did the right thing by taking the show from just, you know, the sort of odd couple that's not really odd plus Penny living down this you know living next door to no this group of friends that now we have there's so much more to go to there are so many more yeah, stories right and yet they're always true to that basic premise of nerdy people you know intellectual slightly like I said socially autistic people grappling with you know everyday life and like quote unquote normal everyday people sort of teaching the nerds how to live you know yeah, and, we get and different also forms learning from each other right. exactly so anyway to get to the sleepover part of this we've got amy farrah fowler is having dinner with the guys when they're preparing to go out to this indiana jones raiders of the lost ark midnight showing and she hears from bernadette that the girls are going to have a girls night and she was like well i'm a girl and 
they're like, yeah, but you were going to go to this thing with the guys. So we just didn't figure you'd want to come. And so she was like, nope, I'm I'm getting invited. So Penny is usually a waitress at the Cheesecake Factory. That's where they were having dinner. That's the like outside setting that they normally use when they go to restaurants in this show. But Kaylee Cuoco had a broken leg. So she was seen seated in every one of the (laughs) scenes that she's in. And in this episode, she was the bartender. So she was behind the bar. So she could still be, you know, have her leg propped up. And at the very end, when they have her running out and into her bedroom, that's a body double because she can't walk. Yeah. Amy Farrah Fowler invites herself basically to the to the girls night. Yeah. Which at first is just going to be a girls night. But then once they're there and they're drinking wine, they're talking about what are are we going to do next? Do you want to go out? Do you want to stay in? What do you want to do? Amy lets it drop that she's never been to a slumber party. Right. So she wants to have all of the tropes. She wants to have that slumber party experience. It occurs to me. You know, Amy is making this very sitcom-y mistake of trying to force the bonding. She has this idea. She she wants to be BFFs, she says, you know, or best friends forever. You know, she she wants to be friends. She's trying to make it happen sort of non-organically. And it kind of makes me realize having characters on your sitcom that are slightly autistic is basically like having children in the sense that it lets you do all of the same sort of sitcom lessons and tropes as though they were little kids, you right. know, having to learn those same those same lessons about, oh, you can't really force somebody to be your friend, etc. Exactly. So the girls decide to stay in. Amy pulls up this list of all the things that you're supposed to do at a sleepover. So she wants to start making her way down the list. They play truth or dare. They they have to explain the rules to her. Um, what are some of the other things? That well, they-, they do prank calls. Oh, that's right. And- they do prank calls. That's when that comes back. Yeah. Like I was saying before, this was definitely a big sleepover thing for me at a certain age. Uh, most of the time, we, we didn't do anything all that. You know, we would just be like, is Anthony home? No, no one named Anthony lives here. Okay, bye. <laughs> but like we, <laughs> we found it thrilling. Yeah, they do truth or dare. Amy's version of truth or dare is hilarious. She goes, uh, first she's going like, at what temperature would you eat beef or something like that? And they're no, like, at no. what temperature do you have to cook beef so <laughs> right. that all of the bacteria or whatever? And she's like, you have right. to answer truthfully. <laughs> she's right. like, I don't know. So they go, no, no, you're supposed to ask her something really personal. And she goes, oh, okay. What is the circumference of your areolas? Right. <laughs> and then when it cuts to later and they're supposed to be exchanging scandalous stories, like you said, she's telling the Miller's tale by Chaucer. Right. So that's her idea of like... Like a scandalous story. And she's not wrong. Yeah. I mean, it's not. But she's telling it in like this uh, old English style. So (laughs) that was funny because they were like, what is happening? Yeah. Meanwhile, the boys are sort of, they end up sort of living Raiders of the Lost Ark because uh, Sheldon steals the film print and they get chased by a mob of angry moviegoers, kind of like the mob of, I don't know, indigenous peoples that chase Indy at the beginning of Raiders. Little Lost Ark. Oh, okay. 
That's what that was. I guess that's why they played the music there. I did not. I'm not enough of an Indiana Jones person to like get all of that. So then the last thing we get in the slumber party is they're looking at the list on the phone and Maya Bialik says, oh, well, this says you have to engage in some experimental casual lesbianism. And Penny has already run out of the room because they had been playing truth or dare. And she said truth. And they started asking her about her friendship with Leonard. So earlier in the series, Penny and Leonard dated and now they've broken up, but they're still really good friends. And the question is like, well, why are you still hanging out with him? You know, why are you guys still so close? And Penny's like, I don't want to play anymore and storms out. So then the thing about the lesbianism happens and Amy Farrah Fowler goes into the bedroom and is like, I got this and accosts Penny. And so we just hear from the other room like, ah, Amy, what are you doing? Yeah, and that's kind of it. So this is a pretty good one in terms of like the slumber party you know, mainstays. I mean, we get the truth or dare. We get the sort of, you know, the scandalous stories of various kinds. We get the drama with her storming out, you know, the prank calls. Even though it's about adults, um, you know, it kind of fits in pretty well. Yeah. Moving on to Bob's Burgers. Season four, episode nine, Slumber Party. Yeah, this one, when we started talking about sleepover episodes and we started leaning towards girl sleepovers, I was campaigning for this episode of Bob's Burgers. I remember this as a good one. It's a Louise episode. and So it's got to be good because she's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, Louise is just so indomitable. And I remember this as one of those classic episodes where it's sort of like her against the world. Right. So Bob's Burgers, we've got the, we talked about them on the podcast before. We've got the mom and dad, they own a burger shop, three kids, and this is taking place on a weekend. So we're not getting the normal, like, you know, making burgers and the kids going off to school and all that kind of stuff. We, this is a slumber party. And so we start the episode at dinner and Louise is hating on sleepovers and the mom is like, What do you mean? Yes, this is a very common dynamic. Linda is very effervescent and very positive about everything and very often wants to sort of curate an experience for the kids or for Bob. And Louise is the total too cool for school, you know, doesn't want to do anything. And so we get this sort of stalemate all the time. And in this case, Louise is, you know, say, oh, God, you know, why would anybody want to do a sleepover? Somebody says something like, what's wrong with a with a sleepover party? And she goes, oh, yeah. And while we're at it, what's wrong with diarrhea? You know, she's just (laughs) gleefully hateful of the the idea of a slumber party. Right. And her main reasoning is that the girls that she goes to school with are completely empty headed. She says, if you looked inside their brains, I'm fairly certain what you would hear on loop is stickers, 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 stickers. This is, yes, one of those hilarious Louise sort of observations. It's like, yeah, girls my age, they think about nothing but stickers. (laughs) But so this is going to be our first non-voluntary sleepover party, right? Because I I don't know if this is supposed to be like a, a couple days later or something, but Linda, their mom, 
just sort of arranges a sleepover party. Louise goes to get the door, and uh, it's like, what, four girls from her class? Four girls from her class, one of them voiced by Rachel Dratch, and another by... Catherine Hahn. Yeah, Bob's Burgers is usually head-to-toe fun comedy people in the voice cast. And uh, yeah, we sort of get this forced sleepover thing where even though it's not an official organization like the Honeybees, it's kind of a similar thing. Like Linda sort of takes over and guides everybody through this experience. She's going to do what? What are their activities? They have a fashion show. Yeah, everybody's. Just like the bees. Yep, just like the honeybees. Everybody's taking, you know, clothes and high heels out of a bag and throwing things on and walking awkwardly through the living room while Linda is uh, doing like a narration of, you know, there she goes. Look at her with the flash of, you know, the boa and the red heels. Oh yes, you know, she's just doing like the the commentary tries to convince Louise to do it. She's not having it. And then Louise describes each of the girls that Linda has invited over. And she's got some very choice words for why each of them sucks. Yeah, they all have their own quirks. One of them is obsessed with braiding. And so they have like the little sort of cutaway sequence where she's braided the janitor's mops. (laughs) Right. And the janitor's like, please stop braiding my mops. She's like, but it's so pretty. Yeah. One of them's a germaphobe. Uh, who won't sit on any seat and has never right. sat on a seat in her entire life. So we get cutaways of her not like holding herself up by her arms in her desk at school and answering every question like this because she's doing this constant ab workout to hover, keep her butt above everything. <laughs> yeah, I forget what the other... Uh, so Jessica is boring. Right. And she's then, the one we're going to get into more later. What's the other and then the tall Harley girl? is she won't stop talking. Okay, she's just annoying. Yeah. Okay, so there's sort of a a plot twist, a little seed laid where Jessica decides to go to bed much earlier than everybody else, right? She right. says, oh, I'm off to sleep. And everyone kind of... My bedtime's 8.15. Right. Linda says, yeah, it's only 8 o'clock. But yeah, she goes off to bed. So Jessica goes to bed and they're all... She calls them into the kitchen to do tie-dye. Louise is pitching a fit. And then also we get Linda having a side conversation with each of her other kids, with Tina and Jean, because they're like, wait, what role do I play in this sleepover? So she has to explain their trope to them. Jean is the annoying little brother. You have to go pull somebody's hair. And Tina, the older sister, is like too cool and doesn't want to be a part of it. So she keeps like leaning against the wall and being like, oh man, I really wish I could do some tie-dye, but I'm too too cool for that in yeah, her weird way. Exactly, which doesn't fit with Tina's personality at all, of course. She's anything but aloof. Uh, but at some point, Louise kind of snaps and says, I'm going to sabotage this. I'm going to poison each individual girl's you know, enthusiasm for this so that she wants to go home, right? right. Is there a particular thing that makes her snap or she just kind of decides, screw this, I've had enough? I think she's just like, she's over it. She's had enough. They finish the tie-dye. Linda takes all the tie-dye baggies to go put them in the tub. But for some reason, she goes into the bed, like one of the bedrooms first and knocks over Jessica's 
backpack while she's asleep and the baggie of the peed on well jammies. we don't know about that yet yeah but we yeah. do we've seen we saw jessica wake up and go nobody needs to know we'll just make it oh. to the morning we'll just make it to the morning okay. and she puts this she puts a pair of jammy pants that she had been wearing earlier into a baggie and shoves it into her backpack okay so if you know anything about kids or whatever you know oh this kid's a bedwetter right but if you don't know anything about kids like Jay apparently does yeah, it. I've seen <laughs> this multiple times and I think both times it was a reveal to me at the end when we find <laughs> out what her game is all about. Uh, yeah, but what happens is whether you're supposed to understand it or not, Jessica's soiled pants, which are in this plastic bag, get mixed up with all of these other... Ziploc bags that are full of tie-dye. Right, all going in the bathtub. Right, so they're all in the bathtub, and then Louise is like, there's got to be a way I can get out of this. There's got, And the mom's like, you're stuck. That's it. You know, sorry, kid. This is, you know, you got to deal with it. So that's when she decides, okay, I'm going to beat these little brats at their own game. And first one she goes for is well, the germaphobe yeah, we while get, they're sitting at the table, right? Yeah, we get all these hilarious infections that she's describing. She's going, oh, you know, it's great for you to be here, even though my mom is so contagious. She goes, I, I didn't write down all of them, but she says, luckily, her whooping butt is in remission. Right. <laughs> Swamp palm yeah. is another one. Sewer palm. Sewer palm. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, she, without much difficulty, freaks out the germaphobe girl. Played by Rachel Dratch. Right. She immediately demands to be taken home. So Bob has to drive her home. And by the time he comes back, she's convinced two of the other girls that they want to go home. Right. She she scared the crap out of Harley, who's the girl, um, the talkative one. Right. They're sitting there on the couch. The movie's about to start. And now Linda is a little distracted because there's this other thing going on with these raccoons out in the alley that she watches and makes up stories about. So she's a little distracted. So the movie hasn't gotten put in and started yet. And Louise has worked her magic on the talkative girl by telling her that Jean has a twin brother and they keep him in the basement. And, you know, when he comes upstairs, because mom only lets him out at night, don't look him in the eyes. Don't blink. Don't laugh. Don't say this. Don't don't say that. It's very funny. And the girl just like freaks out. Like, I don't want to meet him. I don't want to meet him. Yeah, yeah. She goes, whatever you do, just don't blink, okay? Because I blinked one time and he ate my butt. And so the reason why I'm sitting weird like this is because I don't have a butt. <laughs> but so that's enough to get that girl to say, I want to go home. And, and then, then Bob the other is one, like, yeah, Bob's like, okay, well, so I'm going to take her home. And then are you going to want to go home? Like the braiding girl. And the girl's like, are you ever going to let me braid your hair? And Louise is like, absolutely not. So she says, okay, I'll go too. And now Bob's taking these two girls home. Louise is like, all right, I've done it. And then somebody reminds her about Jessica. Yeah, Tina's like, here. what about the girl that went to sleep? So Louise is like, okay, no problem. She goes to find Jessica and she sees Jessica has abandoned her little sleeping bag or whatever, and she's left 
uh, Louise's little Tamagotchi walkie-talkie there, and uh, she starts communicating with her, and they they have this thing, you know, it's kind of like speed or something, where you're like sort of talking to the madman on the phone or the radio. Yeah, except whatever. for they're both the madman. <laughs> yeah, and it's great. Louise just, the, the whole attitude that she brings to these kinds of situations when she's really angry, but she's also sort of reveling in the challenge, and she's like, oh, okay, you want to dance let's do it you know like it's it's so funny when she gets like that she's like do you understand what is going to happen to you when i find you and then jessica voiced by katherine han is giving it back as good as she gets and she's being super cagey because she says you're not going to find me and i'm not going to leave until i find what i'm looking for because she thinks louise is trying to play a prank on her and has hidden her pp ziploc jammy pants yeah and so she's going all around the house looking for her peed on pants you know that's the evidence that she's a bedwetter louise has no idea about this she doesn't she doesn't understand why this is happening she's just like i'm gonna find you and make you leave why are you hiding you weirdo (laughs) yeah like you said there's a whole b story with the raccoons which is hilarious but all it really matters for our purposes that the parents are sort of a wall and so eventually they, they find her. They find Jessica. She's hiding behind a curtain. What is Jean's one? Jean says, oh, oh, you should say, I know what's behind curtain number one, or right. I'll take what's behind curtain number one, because they see her toes sticking out from the curtain. And then Louise, Louise goes, goes, it's curtains for you. And Jean's like, that was better. <laughs> yeah. So they find her. And I thought this was a very funny remark, given what we're always saying about the sitcoms of the 90s, you know, because Jessica has to come clean and be like, yeah, it was these peed on pants. That's what I've been looking for this whole time. So I suppose you're going to just tell everybody at school. Right. Well, because the raccoon shows up in the bathroom, right? They hear like, you know, they find Jessica. She's like, whatever. And they have a whole epic pillow fight. Like, you know, I'm not leaving. You can't make me whatever. It's this epic pillow fight all around the house. They use Tina and Jean as shields yeah. and they like yeah. get Tina beat up. goes, Jean, is this your first time as a human shield? It's my third. You're doing great. <laughs> so that's great. So we get this great fight sequence and they're whacking each other with the pillows. And then it like the brawl sort of tumbles into the bathroom and we see the raccoon in the bathtub trying to open the pee-pee ziploc bag and everyone's like what's that what's he holding and jessica's like ah and grabs it and then that's when the reveal happens because it gets ripped open and louise picks it up and it's wet and she's like what are these oh did you pee your pants okay and then it's no big deal she's like what do you think i'm gonna make fun of you for having peed on pants yeah well what she says is you know when jessica says so i guess you're gonna tell all the kids at school louise goes make fun of you for wetting the bed what is this the 90s you know and (laughs) it's that thing we always Always talk about in the 90s it was all about being mean and bob's burgers is one of the best examples of these 21st century sort of feel good show you know where it's funny from eccentricity and absurdity but it's got a nice sort of spirit to it and uh yeah so you know louise is like don't worry your secret's safe with me and then they're sitting on the couch because they're waiting for the dad to get back so he can take jessica home and they start bonding a little bit. I mean, they've already bonded over their 
both being very mischievous and <laughs> deviant, <laughs> I guess. And then they realize they also have the thing of like a crazy mom in common. So Louise is like, why would you even come to sleepovers if you wet the bed? And Jessica's like, my mom makes me, you know, whatever. And then Louise compliments her on her plan. Like, so that's a really good plan. You go to bed early, then you wake up and hide the evidence and then go back to sleep. And then that way you never get caught. And she's like, yeah, it's always worked until now, you know. So then they sort of bond over, oh, I don't, you know, Louise is like, oh, I have a crazy mom too. My mom made me do this. And then she decides to stay and they say, Louise says she doesn't have to leave. Yeah. Again, a kind of common dynamic of Louise sort of against her will having a normal, healthy, growing experience and sort of going like, bah humbug, I don't want to do that. And then ultimately realizing like, oh, I'm kind of just like everybody else, you know, and sort of softening a little bit. And again, a really good one in terms of following those tropes and seeing, you know, we've got Linda, just like Aunt Becky back in full house going like, if this is going to be a girl sleepover, we got to get the stuff, you know, we got to do the things. I love that a movie about twins in the 21st century, right. that's and they become had red part hair, of it. just like the Mary Kate Nashley Olsen did, and yeah. it was like, what do they call it, Twin Cincinnati? Yeah, and it's sort of yeah, it's sort of referencing them, a re- uh, referencing a little bit of that Cody and what's his face, the Sweet Life, you sweet know, life there's, Zach and Cody. Yeah, there's just so much of like it's got to be twins if it's if it's entertainment it's for kid kids movie, for some yeah. reason. Yeah, but so yeah, just kind of hitting up on all those little tropes and traditions. It was really fun. And again, you get that thing of bonding, you know, of the rite of passage, of you sort of bond on the deeper level. Uh, You sort of, you get all of that. So what do you think about this theory? I have this sort of working idea. I haven't fleshed it fully out yet that the reason everyone loves Louise so much is because she is the like epitome of what a Gen X kid wishes they would have been like when they were growing up. Because she's just like completely apathetic and misanthropic. I mean, it's kind of like what I was saying about Sheldon. Like that aspect of wish fulfillment, I think, is in any character that's like that. Any character that has a lot of audacity. You know, Larry David, right? The fictional Larry David does all the things that most of us wish we would do or wish we would say instead of just thinking it, you know. See, I think so, that guy's a dick. <laughs> well, I think it's both. I think yeah. it's, you know, it's it's a little bit of both. But uh, yeah, I think that Louise uh, very much has that wish fulfillment aspect to her. And I don't know, I think just they do such a good job of writing for her. And I think it's the funniest thing to me like the funniest parts of the show with her are when people are afraid of her, like when Bob is afraid of her, because he's like, there's there's an episode where they're going to give her bedroom to Gail, Linda's sister. She's going to either have to share with her or share with one of the other siblings. And when Bob presents that idea to her and you just watch her twitching and you watch Bob, (laughs) you know, dreading having to present this news to this little kid like that to me is what makes it so funny. Her outrage, you know. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't know. Going back over these, this was a really solid lineup to me. I think, uh, like we were saying, those first two were surprisingly emotional 
And, and then, this one even, even the even Bob's Burgers was a little heartwarming there at the end with yeah. Louise having her making a friend, you know. Yeah. What the latter two have for me is just both being really funny, like a yeah. lot of laugh out loud moments for me. Like I said, not only Bob's Burgers in general, but this particular episode of Bob's Burgers was always a favorite of mine. So, you know, it's not a surprise that I liked it to me. The Big Bang Theory is the one that really kind of came out of nowhere and won me over. And now, yeah, I'm like, this This is great. You know, like, let me put on Big Bang Theory in the background when I'm working. That's, you know, it's, I like that it's, you know, like I said, it's not those next level sitcoms, but they're all really good. And, you know, it definitely had fun with that trope as much as any of these. Yeah. And even though it was adults, yeah. like you said, they were able to still have that kind of you know, kid mentality, that sort of kid-like experience, even though they were grown-ups having their um, sleepover. But yeah, I don't know. I uh, Like, Full House hit the heartwarming for me. That was really good. Big Bang Theory, I like you said, I laughed out loud many times while watching that, and it was a nice reminder of like, oh yeah, this show's funny. I should go back and watch more of those again. And, and Bob's Burgers is... Like, Bob's Burgers is one of those ones that I know I'm supposed to like. I know I'm supposed to be into and and whatever. And I've shared this before. It's still, like, I'm a such a big Archer fan that I never quite was able to kind of, like, wrap my brain around H. John Benjamin as Bob and Bob's Burgers because the voice just is wrong. But it's always good. Like, every single time, I feel like it's begrudgingly, right? Like, I always have to be convinced or told that I'm going to watch a Bob's Burgers. And I always enjoy it. So I don't know why I'm such a brat about it. Yeah, we all have our prejudices. But uh, (laughs) yeah, they're all really solid. Like we say about some of these tropes, when it's taken from real life, it's just got a whole different feel than when it's a trope like getting bopped on the head and becoming a different person. You know, when you have those experiences that you can actually compare it to and have it actually like resemble them. Well, it makes me want to have a slumber party. Like I want to have a sleepover. You need to go find somewhere else to be. I'm having girls night. No problem. (laughs) I will show myself out. What are we talking about next week? Next week, we're going on blind dates. We're going to watch My Three Sons, Season 2, Episode 16, Blind Date. Then Taxi, Season 1, Episode 3, Blind Date. Step by Step, Season 6, Episode 13, The Big Date. And finally, Will and Grace, Season 2, Episode 17 on streamers, but really Episode 15, Advise and Resent. Yep, blind dates next week, and until then, we will consider this segment of the sitcom study concluded. Thank you for listening to The Sitcom Study. Tell us what you think or share your own TV tropes and topic ideas by sending a self-addressed stamped email to sitcomstudypodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram. And if you like the show, consider leaving a rating or review on your podcast app. It helps us boost those precious Nielsen ratings. The sitcom study is recorded in front of a live studio dog. 